Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always are my co-hosts Scott Burleson and Jonathan Edwards. Today, we have a special guest, Jan Schmidtken, with us to talk about all things design and innovation. Jan is one of those Duracell bunny energy level kinds of people, which clearly shows in his career path. Among doing many things, he has published and blogged a lot on design and innovation in various places. For example, he co-curates the blog thisisdesignthinking.net, which I strongly uh, emphasize here. He is an entrepreneur who had several businesses and now managing partner and innovation strategist at Codify. There is one sentence, and I would like to quote this here, on the Codify website that I think really sums up uh, Jan. So the sentence goes like this, intellectual curiosity paired with the strong need for independence. That's a very nice one. Jan co-founded Codify, which is an agency that supports organizations in innovating their innovation management and supports them in a lean and evidence-based way. We are certain to get more into that and what that actually means. But first of all, Jan, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be part of your show because I really like it and I'm a subscriber and fan. Very nice. That's great to hear. <laughs> so I, I I introduced you as really this Duracell kind of uh, guy. And I know the, I know you um, always with this energy and, and, and you always have this always run a changing system t-shirt. So change and movement is something that is really, really, I mean, I think something important to you. I, I want to kind of understand a little bit where has this come from? I think you have a kind of a, uh, I mean, I look, when you look at your um, um, resume or, or what you have done in your, your life, you've done a lot of things. There's always been a passion, I believe, for design in the very broadest sense. So what do you think? Where did that came from? How, how did you start? So tell us a little bit about that. You know, because you warned me already upfront before we started the show that you might ask me these personal questions. You know what yeah. I did? I did a little uh, journaling exercise on that because I really loved the question because you don't often have the chance to, well, reflect upon your life path. And there's sometimes this weird turns in life. And, and <laughs> you, you ask yourself, how did I end up here? At least I asked it myself quite often. Yeah. And so, so I, I have to hold, put that into the camera. The, the listeners won't see that, but yeah, I, I even wrote it down because it wow, was, was you're so really, interesting. You came prepared. Yes. <laughs> I, it was so interesting for me uh, to, 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 I don't know, to think about myself. So, okay, the question is where to start. Um, yeah. I found the turning point, even though probably my family would say it started in my childhood when I drew all these comics and uh, like to build robots with uh, Lego and Metallbaukatten, uh, things like that. Metallbaukasten is a very special East German thing. Um, I was just going to say, that's a... <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very special thing. It's like uh, the Peter construction sets. That's probably what you have known in the West. Yeah. Um, so, 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 but it started in the teen years, actually. It's really interesting because, um, yeah, I had to reflect upon that. Um, and that was in a time when, of course, in your teen years, you always, um, how to say, you always uh, rebel against not only your parents, but also against maybe the environment you're in. And in my case, my environment was a very conservative one because I come from a beautiful, beautiful Baroque city in the east of Germany, it's called Dresden. Ah, very well known, yeah, the yeah, yeah. famous Semperoper, the Dresden Zwinger. You know, we have such a rich cultural history that unfortunately, Dresden is a place, at least it has been in the past, maybe the changes now, um, where you rather, or where tradition means worshipping the ashes instead of uh, passing torch of fire. You know? Oh, that's a nice one. Okay. Yes. And as a young person, um, or someone who wants to find his way, this environment that is a little bit annoying. And so I, I had to rebel in my own way, and I started doing graffiti. And oh, I didn't know this. Yes. Um, and my parents hated it. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. And there was big fights all the time. But I don't want to go into this. What's interesting yeah. is and how that relates to design is that graffiti taught me many life lessons that I could apply later on. So regardless of the fact that, of course, I had to deal with typography because in the end it was about bending uh, characters. Yeah. Um, I 
what, what, what I wanted or what, what, what I realized uh, very early on was um, that in order now, nah, I have to start over. You can cut that out, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I realized while um, I was doing graffiti was first of all, that you can't be everybody's darling because you know when you start doing uh, your way of um, um, of writing mm. you have to find your own style and yeah. our style for example was that we also taped um, if we did big murals um, certain areas of the mural um, and that was heresy no graffiti artist would do that you would do have to do the freehand with your spray can um, oh, okay. and so, so it's like guides, so we, guide right, guidelines or something like exactly okay. like guidelines. Okay, okay, okay. So we did something that was very unorthodox and we were hated by the scene for that. Uh, <laughs> and I say we, it's not my royal we, it's uh, the crew and I back then. Um, but we did good stuff with that. Um, and I learned to not give a shit, if I can put it like this, about others' opinions if you want to find your own style. So I think that okay. was a very big life lesson. Another life lesson, a more an entrepreneurial one, had nothing to do with design in, in, in a narrow sense, but also important, was we were very young. We had not that much pocket money because lower middle class family in the East, everyone was unemployed back then. I'm talking 90s here. Mm. Um, also my parents. So we somehow had to organize the spray cans. They were really expensive. Yeah. And so we started very early on working for clubs, youth clubs, uh, or discos, and so on, and painted and decorated their rooms. Spaceship, jungle, all these things that need okay. to go there. Really the 90s. Exactly. And uh, so we had to order the cans. Oh, oh, and the thing is, they wouldn't pay us, of course, because they said, you are given the chance to do great work, which is a theme for all creatives the whole, their whole yeah. life. Then later on, you are given the chance to do this great work. So you get exposure you be grateful for that already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or at conferences, you get exposure. Well, we knew that we couldn't buy us anything out of that. And so when we did something, we always knew that we might need seven spray cans for this piece that we do for the disco. But we said, oh, we need 100. I'm sorry, 100 for that. Please order them. And so at least our spray cans were financed. Yeah, so that was a kind of a business model innovation, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, so, but why, 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 why am I saying this? Because later on then, these clubs and uh, disco owners, they wanted to have websites. Mm. So we are now in the end of the 90s, early 2000s. And they suddenly said, yes, can you please uh, create a website for us, especially with this cool intro? So if you remember in the 90s and 90s, there were these flash intros in front of websites all the time. Oh my God, and yes. yes, it was a crazy mm. time. And as I was also very uh, computer, um, I wouldn't say addicted, but, but, but inclined to computers. I also did some programming with Topa Pascal so on and so forth. Um, well, I worked myself into how to write HTML and all these things. Um, and then we said, okay, let's do some websites. And we did that. And it was pretty fun because <laughs> um, suddenly you had to deal with all the things that you uh, never had contact with, um, like usability, um, cross-browser optimization, all these kinds of things. And this is also how I somehow combined the, the, the typography part of the graffiti with the technology part somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I always call it the school of hard knocks um, because we did every mistake one can ever make. For example, <laughs> back then there was Netscape, still was had a very high market share. And the first website that I built had a JavaScript. Back then you could from Flash, Flash you could call a JavaScript. It was an earthquake JavaScript that would make a cool movement of the window, of the pop-up window when the logo comes in. Oh, okay. So <laughs> and beautiful it crashed, <laughs> it crashed computers back then. It was a known bug, and, but I didn't knew. You know, so my first website crashed half of users' computers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so all these kinds of things, we really learned the hard way. And my graffiti buddies from back then, um, they already started a little um, uh, design studio, whereas I was still in, in, in high school doing my baccalaureate. But then um, after I finished the high school, they said, Jan, come and join us. But I was not sure. I wanted to study something, so I tried to apply for industrial design. Um, 
got through the first rounds, but then in the final round, picked up the fight with a professor there. Um, and then I didn't got it. And so I had to find <laughs> another way. Then I tried some informatics. Um, yeah. And then in the end, um, I they somehow convinced me. That's, that's a very long story around it. And then I suddenly was in my early 20s. Um, we, we ran a design studio. Um, and there we were really lucky that we had the internet because we didn't knew about anything because we just, at least Ike just came from school and I suddenly was um, responsible because I did websites for all these things that clients came. Yeah. Hmm. But what is, what is this? Is this late, late nineties, mid nineties or something like this, that? This is early 2000 now, okay. early 2000, okay. 2001 yeah. or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then suddenly they came and said, we need some, some, this, back then this were called point of sale terminals, something where people can touch and look at our offerings here in the local supermarket, or we did lots of with real estate companies that said, you can never sell flats over the internet. Of course we did. Um, so we had also did lots of rendering and so on and so forth. Well, and then I hired all the people that I knew from my graffiti days because some of them were gamers um, and they knew how to do the, the renderings and so on and so forth. And suddenly we had this bunch of nerds, but we had no idea on how to actually work together. So I wish mm -hmm. I would have read about Scrum back then, but we didn't know anything. <laughs> um, but what we knew, and thanks to the internet, um, was uh, we read a little bit about um, uh, well how adaptive path Jesse James Garrett for example in the very early days um, um, created their product and so we stumbled upon that we read the very early work of uh, Jacob Nielsen uh, on usability mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and then we thought okay let's try that out and so we tried these things out so we also tried out inviting users oh my goodness um, <laughs> And this is again, school of hard knocks. <laughs> this is where I learned, for example, when I wanted to test, um, it was very simple. It was just um, um, uh, thinking out loud, you know, the protocols of, of, of thinking out loud. Mm. Um, we invited someone and then then, then wanted to see um, how they cope with, <laughs> with, the, with the websites we created. Then I realized they don't want to talk with me about the interface at all. They suddenly talked with me about totally different things. They talked with me about how the brand experience sucked. They talked with me about how, how the service experience sucked of this company mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And so I went back to, uh, usually these were um, um, middle-stand companies, uh, small, medium-sized and companies. We also worked for big ones, but, but more smaller ones. Yeah. Um, and then they told me something um, that came as a shock to me as a designer. They said, uh, Mr. Smeaton really acknowledge and appreciate uh, you as a designer, but you don't have to tell me how I run my business. Um, yeah. So they wouldn't care. It was really interesting and it was a crazy moment for me. Um, and I also remember another moment where we, uh, we did some corporate identity work for a company and I did the website and also a little um, software for them. For, it was a, a print uh, shop. Um, a bigger one, um, and then a client, which was a little bit angry uh, from this company, from the print shop, wrote to us and said, we have a certain responsibility to not uh, put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> like yeah. She literally wrote that um, as, 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 as a design agency, because the identity that we created and also the, the website um, is not aligned with what what, 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 what they actually deliver. So, so it was again, better, in a sense, better than what they actually can deliver. So. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. So, 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 so again, really interesting, um, this gap and that, that showed me, um, I didn't have the vocabulary back then, but it showed me again, oh my goodness, keeping the promise and creating a value proposition, this is, there, there are such big gaps in there. And we always, back then, we didn't use the word service design, but we called it process design that, hey, you have to improve your processes. And we have some hints here from your customers. Why don't you do that? Mm -hmm. But again, me as just the autodidactic um, um, designer, I, I had no say in that. And that really annoyed me that much that um, I decided to study, but not design, um, but um, 
some some yeah it, it was called um social and economic sciences uh, okay at uh, berlin university of arts because i read lots of books uh, back then um, on this process and business model design by a guy called uh, um, liebel professor liebel uh, who then became my my most favorite professor and he's in in, in the dacht area like uh, switzerland germany and and austria uh, one of the most famous uh, design management people he's like a, a the spider in a web he knows everyone and touches everyone and he said oh you're interested in that no worries i have something for you and then he threw the phd thesis um, on the table from alexander osterwalder he back then tried to build this model this uh, xml model um, of a business model to, to run simulations okay. he put on the early work from um, the illinois institute of design from chuck owen on the table which was so interesting to me and suddenly things fell together i realized okay i have something to say and design and management and how to run a business there is a convergence and there are some answers and finally i had uh, a track i could follow okay so i'm still very grateful for that you, so I, can i ask you something so you at one point you started kind of using the word just design like when or when do you think that i mean you kind of self and just went out and do it when when did that word enter or, or, or i mean what does it even mean for you so in it oh yeah <laughs> maybe a big uh, question yeah so robert simon comes to comes to mind changing existing um, situations into preferred ones <laughs> okay so this, this would then be the highest level um, yeah. um uh, definition of design oh, it's so hard sometimes i feel because i've looked into so many definitions and we have so many discussions all the time also in this um, um in, in the in the in the uh, designerly um discourse um mm. that that oh, it's so hard for me to just say that it's for me yeah. yeah um we will probably come later to the definitions of design thinking too um for, for, Design is, is is this very, if I would say now, with, I haven't thought much about it now, um, sure. but with very easy words. For me, it's thinking with my hands and co-evolving as um, a problem and a solution together, or an understanding of a problem and a solution together. That, that's my, my Jan Schmieken uh, definition of things. But of course, there are many other valid ones out there as well. Sure. So yeah, it's a tough Tough well, I really question. like this. So thinking with the hand, yeah, I mean, of course, it's it's probably it also changes. I don't know, but but thinking with the hand. So it, and then I also like this where you said this, like solution and problem go hand in hand. I mean, I'm come from a different angle, and you just say no, 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 no. These two things you need to separate them and do problem first, and blah blah blah. But it seems to be like you're 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 in a constantly, or your definition of doing things is more intertwined or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, we always say we build to think. So all the models we create, okay. we throw away. That's very counterintuitive also for, for, for outside observers um, who, who look at the work at designers. Um, Bolland and Coloppi wrote a really cool book on that. It's called Managing as Designing, um, where they observed uh, designers in their work, especially architects, very, very famous architects. And this permanent um, uh, uh, reflection um, that you have, reflection, action, we call it in the design discourse, um, with the model at hand or, or with the thing you build in order to understand the problem better and then throwing the model away is sometimes seen as a waste from, from, from an outside perspective, especially if you have projects and you have project sponsors and they say, you have it done already, why do you throw it away now, you know? <laughs> It's similar with an MVP. Uh, it, it's also just a learning vehicle. It's not something yeah. that you can then scale, you know, the shaky WordPress website that has the first orders. You, you don't scale that. You have to rebuild the whole thing, refactor it. Um, and, and, and I think that's the core, at least for me, of, of it. You, you build things to throw them away. That's creative work. Okay, yeah, it sounds, sounds wasteful. But on the other hand, it sounds also like that's, so it, there is a lot of learning involved here, I, I would say. So you, even when you started that, when you said about graffiti and so on, there is by doing the things you 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 learn much more and much, or by doing the mistakes as well. 
it sounds like. Exactly. And that's the counterintuitive part. You avoid waste if you do that, <laughs> even though it looks wasteful from the outside. Um, and that's, yeah. Is there an example that comes to mind, like a story of like, you know, you, you, you were wrestling with this problem and then you built this and this and sort of what you learned with a, a couple of iterations? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good question. What, what would it be? I mean, we, we did so... This, uh, there are lots of things that I cannot talk about. Let, let's, let's go back to these old times when I discovered that, not the recent times. Let's go back to these very old times um, when you do, uh, for example, this very, there are different levels of design, at least um, at, as, um, uh, as in the design community, um, it is discussed. One level is the communications design, you know, that's how we started, like building these websites, logos, and so on and so forth. Next level would be service design and processes. Next level would be organizations and systems. And next level would be Leonard or um, 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 bigger problems, society problems. And you use very different tool to, to tools and, and approaches to each of these levels. Let's say at the very basic level now, which, which would be communication design, you always explore different directions. Um, and even though they look very good already from, from, from the outset, you will have to throw them away. You know, this, this, is, this is how we started um, with it. Later on, um, and, and there I can only be a little bit vague. We had exactly the problem that I just mentioned with, with customers that we created an MVP, which was very shaky um, because it was tinkered together and holds together with duct tape, let's say with Zapier um, and, and WordPress and so on and so forth. And it did what it had to do. And there were some first orders um, and customers would come but as it maybe could handle 100 customers and then the database would slow down, you will have to refactor it. You will have to rebuild it. And this is something that is very counterintuitive because it also costs money again. But we don't think it's a waste because we didn't need the very professional um, um, programmers to do this work. We could still do it ourselves with our, 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 our uh, knowledge, which is not so deep as what the, the, the real coding team has. But then they have to come and have to find a platform to really build it in a way that it can scale. So this is a problem we often have. I don't know if that answers the question. I mean, I guess the, the, the focus in this particular example you gave is, is, is maybe different or the, the, the function, I would say, of the first website you build is, has maybe more of a function of a prototype or something like this, where the point is to see if customers actually use it, if there's any interest. and once you, you've validated that, you go on to the next stage and, okay, let's make it better and scale it up. Is that, does, does that sound right or? Yes, 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 exactly like this. So, so I had actually a question. I mean, I, I, I think this, this idea of co-evolving problems and solutions, I, I really like how you, you said that. You said a few really nice sentences, thinking with hands, with, you, with one's hands, and uh, we build to think. I, I really like that. Mm. Um, I, I had a, a maybe like a silly but um, difficult question. It, it's uh, what is it about the building that's different to the imagining? So why, what, what information, uh, it, it's maybe obvious the answer, but I mean, what information are you getting from building that you're not getting from, from imagining? Why do you actually need to build? And do you get this? And do you get the insights whilst you're building, or do you get the insights once you've built and tested or something? Mm -hmm. um, may I combine this with uh, a team of different people? Because usually we, we we work in teams. Because then maybe I can 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 give my perspective um, on on it a little bit better. If you imagine something, let's say, think about a dog. Now everyone of you thinks about a dog, hmm. but we all think about a different one, a small one, a big one, different race, and so on and so forth. So the problem with imagining is that uh, even if you speak out the word, or even if you, um, let's say you are in an ideation session and you, 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 you draw a first sketch or a concept somewhere, 
people do, still don't have the same, I always call it, I don't know if it's a proper English term, head cinema, like uh, imagination in the head. <laughs> and in order to create that, in order to create alignment, and in order to, um, well, also feel the practicalities of this thing, especially when we talk about processes, you know, because there we do lots of role playing, for example, you have to build it, you have to act it out. And only then you realize if this direction could work. And I think there's this big power um, in it. Of course, b before that comes visualization. And this is why it's so important to have uh, a designer who has a craft in the team. And with craft, I mean, not just a design thinking coach, but someone who, who can really visualize and build things. Um, but then also comes the building part of it. So I think both is the same. The, 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 the transition is, is very fluid. You have the imagination, you talk about it, then you sketch it, and then you try, depending on which direction you agree upon as a team, you want to explore further, then you build or act it out. And, and this, is, this, this is the power. Otherwise, you could not feel it if it feels right, because mm -hmm. it's often about that too. Yeah, it makes total sense. Total sense mm -hmm. to me. And, and actually, this leads me exactly to a, a, another question I had, because you're talking about, okay, what direction do we now go in? And, and this is another uh, question I had. Okay, how, how would you decide, you know, what's a good direction? Is it just random? Is it in, intuition? Is there a method for this? What, how do you decide once you've built your first version or whatever, and you decide to throw it away and move forward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at best, I mean, that's also the thing. Um, we built, I mean, uh, prototype uh, fulfills many different um, um, functions. First of all, we prototype for ourselves so that we can build to think. But then we also prototype for uh, other stakeholders in the organization so that they understand where we are going and can support us in that. But then, of course, we prototype not only to ideate, so we always differentiate the spectrum, prototyping to ideate to prototype to test. We also prototype uh, in a way and, and, and build um, uh, experiments that we can test it with users. So when we decide in which direction to go, we usually do that either with a sponsor user we have on the team. That's the most convenient situation. Unfortunately, you don't have that all the time. Um, or we do it then if we go back uh, into the field work um, and test it with, with real customers or users, so, depending so on what we test. Did I understand this correctly? So you would say there, there's a different kind or a different prototype depending on whoever you, you, you show it to or however, however you want to test it with. So Absolutely. Yes, yes, so, absolutely. So, and so the direction you choose to go in is really more about what it is, what hypothesis you want to test rather than anything else. So um, is, is that correct? So do you want to test for value? Um, do you want to test for whatever feasibility? I don't exactly. know what different kinds of things. In, in design thinking, we often test, uh, most of the time test for desirability, sometimes also um, if it really works, that's then feasibility exactly. Viability is usually a little bit, this, this risk dimension is, is not a thing we test so much in design thinking that we go into the learning cycle of, of Lean Startup then. But um, Yes, it, it, it's exactly like this. For, for example, for us as a team, because we have so much um, um, wrestled with the problem already, we can also um, work with a prototype where everything is baked in already. I mean, it's not the best practice, but it happens. A tester, a user uh, would totally overwhelm that. We will have to single out the hypothesis that we want to test with this user, and then we will have to build a prototype for that. And so it might be that we build up to let's say five experiments because each one tests a different hypothesis and then um, go out and, and talk to the user about that or, or put them into a situation to, to explore it best is if we don't talk at all. And that's, that's definitely uh, different, this, this building a prototype for a testing setup than building a prototype to ideate and have your head cinema again. Mm. Mm. There is a yes. beautiful short sentence in there, which, which I want to kind of go in. It's best if you don't talk at all. Can you elaborate a little bit on this and, 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 and why? Um, yeah, depending on what you test, you first want, and there we are again with these very simple um, methods um, of, of, of user and design research, you want to have uh, the user talk out loud. 
um, if you sit with him and it's a very early prototype. So before you prime him and, and tell him what these things is, th these things are that you put in front of them, you let them explore the whole thing, think out loud what he believes this is, what he believes we intend to do with it, what he would do next, and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's so simple, but it's incredibly hard, especially for all the teams that we train, because we do lots of training to um, stand the silence. It's, it's, really, it's really tough. It's also tough for me uh, at times. And, um, and then, uh, well, to, 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 to try to get into the, the mental model of, of this, this user in front of you first, um, before you then ask him to do certain tasks, because then he already feels like where, where you're heading to. Yes. Okay. okay. Yep. So I, often, often we do that, if, if I may add that, we often do that, especially okay. with value propositions, because in design thing, we often explore value propositions. And then we put several ones in front of him, and then he has to tell us in his own words what this might be. Would this be an online service? Would this be a, a personal consulting package? What would it be? Um, things like that. So that's so the first. So you you build so either it's paper. Or I how I, I, I don't know how to have to imagine these prototypes, but you you don't say anything at all, and you just want to kind of the pure reaction of the user. If if this if the if if the test setup um, is yeah, yeah, uh, yeah how to say uh, necessitates that yes yes we would of course give instructions in the very beginning and and say what we want to hear from him. Um, that we want to hear, for example, his thoughts. Um, let's assume you've seen that on a website. Um, and then in LinkedIn, yeah. um, what would come to mind? What would you yeah. do next? Okay. Yeah. And okay. if he says, I would ignore, then we would say, we would first ask why. And then we would say, okay, now let's assume you still click on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we would guide For him through. For the sake of the experiment. <laughs> exactly. 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so I don't. I, so we're kind of we went into I think one part at least of of, of design thinking in, in the very specific stage, which is prototype. So maybe we could kind of take a little bit of a step back. I mean, I, I know design thinking is a, at least or okay, it's two words that have been thrown around a lot. I know you actually went to the Hustle Plotner into the HPI. So can you just elaborate a little bit on on, on how did you come up? How did you come to design thinking or how was your what your path was and then and then and then what 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 is it or was it what is it for you oh yes yeah <laughs> um well i've given quite an extensive uh, background where how I, how I went into it so 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 you see that i come from the craft so 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 i worked back then with fireworks and all these i don't know macrometer director these really dinosaur tools back then and then uh, again, I told you that I met, I was so happy to met this cool professor of mine um, who introduced me to this discourse between management and design. Um, and this also helped me to discover in 2000 uh, or in 2006, around that it was the early articles of Bruce Nussbaum that in, in, in Business Week, that he kicked off at least for, for, for management, this whole design thinking hype. Um, then along that I also discovered Roger Martin. I mean, all the people that wrote about um, the, 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 the um, how to say, the interrelations of managing and designing. And then finally, I had found a word for something that I could never articulate because, I mean, after all, I was just a crafts person um, and not a management person yet. And so I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Who in Germany uh, is also doing something with that? And I think it was in 2007 or so that the D-School was founded. Um, and I was thinking about maybe going there, also taking the D-School. But then I thought ah, that because I have already have, have been so deep down in the rabbit hole, also due to my former studies, that it wouldn't make sense. And so I, 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 I sent my, well, not that sent, I, I, I suggested my ex-girlfriend to go there and also other <laughs> friends of mine. So that they could establish connections. Users. Yes, it's, yeah, <laughs> honestly. Um, while I was still doing my master's studies uh, at the Nova <laughs> University. And, um, and so during my master's, I had lots of um, contacts suddenly um, with these good people. And there I got to know coaches, people who ran the program. I met Ingo Raut. He was very um, 
very very um, important for me and 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 for 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 my development. And and then I well kind of hacked my master's uh, program just for design thinking. So whenever I had something because it was an economics master, I hacked everything and management and economics, change management. Okay, let's let's uh, let's uh, explore change management and design thinking. Um, and all leadership, okay, let's explore leadership and design thinking. And so I, um, over the course of time, I finally gained two things, um, a vocabulary um, and an understanding and theoretical understanding of the whole concept uh, that I was lacking as a, as a designer because designers don't read that much um, normally. And also um, in, I mean, I did all the time, but, but that's at least what I observed. Uh, that many designers don't read it much. And then also another thing is there, um, the design education at this time was in Germany because I was at context with universities was not there yet. It is, it still isn't crazy. So D school was one of the few islands. Anyways, okay. but D school then kicked off this gigantic avalanche um, that rolled over the industry here in Europe and later on also in the world. Um, at least for the two D schools, Stanford and Potsdam, everyone was about design thinking. So I'm talking 2009 here or so. And sometimes it was weird for me um, what people did when they said they do design thinking, because <laughs> again, I came from the craft and I was a little bit shocked because then they, they sometimes I had the impression it was, was more team healing events instead of creating something, because I always naively, naively thought that you create something that you can touch or if you can't can't touch it then then, then you create an, an innovation a process really something that, that, that creates some value kind later. of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly uh, but but what i didn't knew back then is that there are different jobs that design thinking gets hired for <laughs> you always have to ask yourself what is the job design thinking gets hired for and i i've also lucky to met so you need to understand jobs to be done first Yes, <laughs> jobs sorry. to be done. Get I, didn't, that later, but... <laughs> I didn't knew it back then, but it would have been so helpful for me to have known jobs to be done by then, um, because uh, I would have been way more at ease with myself. But so I was a little bit, hmm, a, a little bit annoyed, and was also a bit skeptical of what the D school is doing, um, hmm. the people that came out there. But then I thought, instead of being grumpy or complaining, let's go there and. Uh, look for yourself and let's get to know people. And I was happy to uh, meet at a conference Holger Reno. Ah, yeah. Um, he's the um, he's the program director, I think, for the Hasso Plattner uh, Institute Academy, the professional training program. Yeah. And he said, Jan, we have a whole program for this, um, and we can look what you are, what, what people are design thinking about. This is a reminiscence and little joke to a really cool advertising um, from a language school. Maybe you can cut it into the into the um, <laughs> podcast later on. Um, it's really funny. So so we said yes. Let's do a study. Let's look at what people are design thinking about and what okay. they say they do if they say they practice design thinking. And that was really good for me because then I realized that at the HPI, especially at the research program, there are many people who are not as emotionally invested in design and design thinking as I am. They are mm. totally interested, but they, 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 they are not, um, uh, how to say, they, they are not uh, annoyed um, if something is weirdly done, but more curious. Oh, that's interesting. Let's look at it. And so that was very good for me. It was kind of a therapy. <laughs> yes. And so we did a study. We did a study and we looked at what people actually do if they say they practice design thinking. And that was really interesting. I don't know if I should probably go into that because. Yeah, you know. but I mean, it, I, I think I honestly, so for me, I, I, I'm still at the stage probably you were in then at 2009 or something. So I, I know, I mean, I was at the HBI. I, I did, I think, a three day course or so. I mean, it's just three days. So that doesn't mean much, but I have a, some kind of an understanding or at least a hint of an understanding of, of what design thinking is or is supposed to be. But it, it's completely true. If you if you go out and see who talks about design thinking or what whatever they... I mean, my impression at very first, I remember this very well, was, okay, design thinking is about using sticky notes and making everybody feel good. And, and so I was very, very skeptical at the beginning. I have to say, I, I changed my mind a little bit. But 
So I am still at this stage where I think it's it's a lot of a thousand different things, or I'm, I'm still yeah. very confused uh, or to a part. Yeah, exactly. And because of that, we did the study. Um, so so, I mean, you probably uh, have heard about the concept of the cargo cult. Um, and no. if not, okay, <laughs> then I just make it very quick. When there was the Second World War, there were some some islands in the South Pacific um, where there were some some um, native uh, natives living on these islands. Yeah. And the Americans needed that as, as, as their bases, and the Japanese as well. And so they 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 had to um, throw down via airplanes. I, I don't know the English word for that. Um, all the pro all the provisions um, for the soldiers. Okay. And when the when the war and, and and sometimes the natives also liked that because there was good food in there, um, and then when the war was gone, um, suddenly the gods would stop uh, uh, raining down the provisions from the air, and so they thought, oh, did we do something wrong? We have to um, recreate the situation. And what they did then was they built these cool models made of wood from from airplanes and so on and so forth, and worshipped the the gods. So did they bring back? The food that rains from from the sky. Okay. But it was a very shallow and very quick introduction to that. Uh, there, there's work? more on it if you Google it. <laughs> was it successful? No, it, it oh. didn't work. I, mean, I was going to build some. You never know. <laughs> put them out in my yard. Or, yeah. yeah. And so so and so so that here's the problem. We have a similar situation um, with the D schools, um, because of the fact that. The D schools, and you can't even blame them. Um, in the beginning, I blamed them, but now I understand why they did that in the past. They had to find a very easy way to bring across what the very basics of design thinking are so that the, the industry even gets interested. And the, the, the official story now from Potsdam, Stanford is a different uh, cup of tea, but in Potsdam was always people process space. Yeah, that's what they say is design thinking. And especially the uh, space part, where, where in the beginning, you know, in, when in Stanford, when they started um, to, to, to prepare their prep, their spaces, they knew that, that all the furniture needed to be flexible. So they put, to, they bought some red couches at IKEA and put some, some rolls on it so that they could be um, moved more easy. And then suddenly the red couch became a symbol of design thinking, um, yeah. similar to the sticky notes that you mentioned, Jan. And then people thought, oh, well, space is very important. That's what the D schools say. Let's now create a space uh the red couch the sticky notes maybe whiteboard and then some fluffy um pillows uh yeah. colorful ones and and that's it and people get in there and they are creative that's a cargo cult of course and um but we have okay. that all the time i mean we also have that with rituals um with in scrum you know where you slavishly follow the rituals instead of looking at what the team really needs and so on and so forth cargo cult is is methodology agnostic it happens everywhere and in design thinking the stickies um yeah are, are, are very visible because we have hundreds of them and they make such a good photo motif and yeah. so that's that's but that's what represents design thinking work all the time which is weird because you could also throw the prototypes for example but i don't know it's it's more i can understand it we react more to faces and there are many faces and then there are all these ideas and colorful it looks good yeah, so yeah. but then of course also um in the um, um, in, in the management discourse of design thinking, because for those people, all these creativity techniques were very new that we use. And of course, design thinking has not invented anything. Design thinking is just a collection of um, practices, techniques, and principles from all kinds of disciplines that are useful to put together. And it's it created a mashup, and it's always changing, anyways. So all these is creativity that, okay, techniques. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, I think that's really. I mean, in and 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 I don't mean this as a critique, right? But sometimes it can be really helpful to just kind of have a label for a couple of tools and put it all into one bucket. I think up to a certain point, jobs to be honest, is not that different. I mean, in a certain sense, the thinking was always around, and you can trace it back very, very long. And and people have understood different things about it. But once you have the label, it changes things. So I think it, it kind of it gives it, it it becomes much more tangible. You can it gives you a language to talk about and all all these kinds of stuff. So I don't mean this as a critique, but but so you would really say it's kind of a up to a point. It's it, it's a label for things that have already been there. 
and a recombination of them in, 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 in a very special package, which is needed at this time. Yes. Yeah, okay. of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, okay. all the methods, let, let's look at the methods in design thinking, for example. Did IDEO invent them? Of course not. I mean, that comes from sociology, from anthropology, ethnography, and so on and so forth. And there's also the death um, um, and, and, and the, the professional death there. I mean, for these um, um, workshop, I always differentiate workshop design thinking and project design thinking, but for this workshop um, learning experience design thinking, we had to boil down these things because uh, mm. the goal was never, at least that's, that's my view, probably people would sure. not agree with that, that. The goal was never to create totally, um, um, how to say, experts from day one in how to build prototypes and how to interview users and so on and so forth, but to go through the experience themselves to see how this kind of work works in order then to let professional people who really have a craft and, and the proper T-shape do their work and going out of their way <laughs> or supporting them because this new agile way of working is very alien to many organizations. So the learning experiences were there to show managers, but also other people from the organization, ah, this is why they uh, work in such a strange way at this product team. Okay, we should let the give, the give them more leeway. Okay. However, the problem is now, and that's that's the thing, that's, that's, that's what industry makes out of it. Workshop design thinking and, and all the way how, all the ways how it's taught, all the didactics behind it and the learning designs, now gets applied to project design thinking, like to real product development. Um, and there, of course, we have this method mismatch and also the methods are way too simplistic uh, to, 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 to progress a, a project. But that's what, what has just happened. Just to make uh, sure I understand. So are you saying that workshop, workshop design thinking is more about education and just and teaching some folks to be familiar with the message? So things have to be a little simpler. You have to keep it well contained. And with a project, you've got more variables, certainly longer time. And so, um, Jan, you mentioned you did a three-day course, which is like, hey, it's just three days. I'm not an expert. So, so it sounds like we've got two Jans here. The uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds like there's a um, mismatch with using the workshop, which is really just intended to be teaching, versus the deeper commitment and time to, to do a project. Is that the difference? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, so whenever, because again, I, I already said you need to know the job to be done. That design thinking is hired for. Sure. sure. If 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 someone approaches you, let it let it be your manager, a, a project sponsor, or in our case, a client, and says we want to do this project, and there needs to be design thinking there. Our clients normally don't ask for design thinking isolated anymore. Um, then we always ask, what is the goal of the project, and then we show them a slider, literally. And in this slider, you can slide to, we need to create innovators or we need to create innovation. Mm -hmm. And then we put the slider into the direction, say, uh, oh, it's 50-50 or it's 100% innovation or it's 100% innovators. Interesting, because there, are often the, uh, there are often people say, we need to develop a new product and disrupt the market. But the real goal behind it is to, uh, I don't know, heal so the team. Uh, because the team cannot work together and they need this experience. And in this, in this, in this learning experiences, it's of course a cool bonding exercise. And, and they also learn to listen yeah, to each yeah. other, all these things. Um, so, so, so we really have to get behind it. And sometimes the project sponsor is not even, um, how to say, I don't know the English word for that, Aufrecht. Uh, what's, what's the English word for that? He's not saying the truth. Uh, honest. Um, some, or... Honest, yes. Yeah. Yes, you will have to read between the lines. Um, and then see how you configure the work with them or if you accept it at all. Yeah, That's very interesting. That is not really interesting. About, about this, I yeah. love, by the way, this slider, innovators. I'm going to steal that. Well, it's stolen. <laughs> it's written right it's, here it's, on, it's, my, on my paper. Yeah, it's, oh. it's from George Campbell from, from the D School Stanford. He always used that. Um, that I learned right? it from him. Well, the, yeah. What is it? The, yeah. um, the bit, this, I forget the, the phrasing is, but the, the, the most genius people of your, your better at uh, 
concealing their sources, but you know, we don't even, we're good. That's good. But I got so excited, but I was just, when I scope a project with a client, I mean, I'm getting to the same quite, I'd ask it in a slightly different way, but I really like the way you do. Now I want to go back to your thing about them not being honest. Are you saying, well, I've got two questions, but one is when they, when they say uh, this, whatever, wherever this is on innovators versus innovations, the answer that they respond with is not what they they're saying something that's not actually where they should be. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. That 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 makes scoping projects uh, quite difficult. Now, my other question is, during a workshop, are they? do you have folks to work on a real business problem, or does that get too difficult and we just work on a personal issue or, or, or you know, planning a vacation or, or something more accessible to most folks? What, what do you normally do? Uh, in uh, in a workshop design thinking um, learning experience where the slider is on innovators. Yes, that's the question. Okay, good. Yes, um, it depends on the time that we have for preparation. Uh, we have these very generic challenges. Um, yes, for example, we have big housing crisis uh, in, in in Germany now, and so we, for example, do these things. It's very easy to get to the street and interview people and create uh, right. uh, creative solutions. So this could be a typical challenge, um, redesign the find the flat experience in a big city. Um, this would be a generic one, but if clients insist on having um, a challenge um, from their company, then we tailor that to them, of course. Both is, both is possible, both works. Um, the only thing is we've made the experience, the more emotionally invested a team is in this challenge because it's already politically poisoned or uh, there's lots of pressure involved, the less open they are to the learning part, the more they try to uh, go into the nitty gritty details of really tackling this problem, problem and then they, are, they have no capacity anymore to, to really learn and, 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 and unlearn at times. That's going to conclude the first half of our conversation with Jan Schmidgen. Next time, we're going to learn more practical pointers for conducting design thinking workshops, and we're going to learn more about Jan's company, Codify. You can find Jan and his partners at codify.in. And that, my friends, concludes this episode. Please send any feedback to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.